bear with me. I, I haven't. I was. I was. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Sorry, my um, my eyes are seem to be going a little bit. So I'll read it off the screen. Joshua, twenty-three, one to six. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake, he will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land, as the Lord your God promised you. Be strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. And chapter 24, 1 to 8. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, he summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land." And 13 to 17. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the, then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we travelled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray for you, Mike. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mike. 
And Lord, we just ask you to come by the power of your Holy Spirit and anoint his lips to preach the word that you would have preached this morning. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we begin a new series um, next week, uh, actually, on um, Psalm 23. Uh, but I thought um, uh, today, because it's their first Sunday back, uh, first Sunday back, but also first Sunday of the new year, and in the light of um, uh, our recommitment prayer uh, and renewing our covenant with God, I thought it'd be good if we um, looked back, remembered, uh, years gone by, and I thought it might be good to look back on the stuff that God has done in our lives. And it's good to look back, because sometimes as we look back, and as we remember God's faithfulness, God's goodness to us, that, it, that imparts faith, and it encourage us, encourages us in any difficult circumstances that we may be finding ourselves um, at the moment. So it's good to look back, and the whole Bible is the story of how God committed himself to his people by making a covenant with them, an agreement with them, basically. Uh, God made his covenant uh, about 500 years earlier uh, from the reading that we just had done when he told uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, uh, to your descendants I give this land. He took Abraham... Uh, to Cain, and he said, to, to your descendants, I give this land. And as the Israelites, Abraham's descendants, made their way through the desert, out of slavery from Egypt, towards the promised land, continually throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, uh, this covenant is reinforced with the Israelites, God's people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And that same promise now is transferred on. Uh, the Israelites are a mirror image of God's church today. We're his people. He is our God. I will be your God and you will be my people. And in a way of contract, he gave them the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone. Um, they were the terms of the contract entered into by God and his people. There's always two people that enter, or at least two people that enter into an agreement, a contract. So if you've ever wondered why there was two tablets um, of the Ten Commandments, one was for God, one was for the people. That's what you get. You get a copy each, don't you, of the agreement to remind yourself of what you've signed up for. Moses has now, fast forward, Moses has now died. The Israelites have come out of Egypt, slavery. Um, he's died. They're now in the Promised Land and they're under the leadership of Joshua. And the people of Israel are now finally in the promised land. The book of Joshua tells us how God gave the Israelites incredible victories in driving out their enemies from the land that God had given them. And in chapters 23 and 24, Joshua is reminding the people of all that God has done for them thus far. The way he's provided, the way he's brought them out of Egypt, the way he's provided food, water through the desert. And he's calling them to renew their commitment to the Lord. And we all need reminding. If you're anything like me, you need reminding of God's promises, of God's goodness to your life. Because 
I forget so quickly. I forget from one day to the next. I can forget God's goodness uh, to me. And I need to be uh, reminded, especially when we need to be reminded of God's goodness when things are going well for us. Because that's when we're most prone to pushing God out of our lives. Uh, And this was the case here. For the first time in their lives, God's people were now facing the test of prosperity. The test of prosperity. They were comfortable. They had a lifestyle they they could only dream about back in the slave days of Egypt. So now they were facing the test of prosperity. We always think of testing as something that can be done in, uh, in trying or difficult times. Actually, testing times can be when you're comfortable. That could be the biggest test of your faith and your commitment. And God has brought them out of the desert, out of their nomadic lifestyle, and as they begin to settle in their comfortable homes, and they begin to enjoy the land and the crops the Lord has given them, Joshua was now concerned that they might begin to lose their passion for serving the Lord as they become comfortable. And that's in in many ways what's happened to the the church in the West. When it's become so comfortable, we've become apathetic. You read of people in uh, Africa and and in other other countries where people will travel for eight, nine, ten hours to attend the church service for two, three hours and then travel back another eight, nine hours. Uh, And then we look at the the example that all of our Western Christ, uh, Christians, uh, whatever, and sometimes, if, you know, if you've got a better offer, then, oh, well, you know, uh, it's 15 minutes, is a long, it's a long way to walk to church. I won't bother today. I had a late night or something. So we're comfortable here in the West. We've become comfortable, and maybe that's why we don't see, we say, why don't we see more of the supernatural stuff that they see in these other countries? Well, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Because we haven't become, we've become comfortable and we've pushed God out uh, in a way that they, they haven't. So Joshua's concerned they might, might lose their passion for serving the Lord now that they were comfortable. So he says to the people in, Josh, in uh, chapter 23, Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Neither to the right or to the left. And friends, we live in an age where people, and Christians in particular, are turning to the left and to the right. They're not tunnel visioned on the Word of God. People are turning to the left, left, that's my left, isn't it? <laughs> and to the right. And uh, Joshua is saying, you can't do that. You cannot have a foot in both camps. Either you're all out for God or you're not. You can't cherry pick what you believe and what you don't believe. You can't cherry pick what you like and what you don't like. You can't pick and mix your faith. You can't say, well actually this is uncomfortable, I find this uncomfortable, or I don't really agree with this, or actually this doesn't seem very fair to me. So therefore, we can push that out. Because I just not comfortable with it. I don't agree with it. And what you're doing, basically, you're playing God. You're saying, I know better than God. Um, and you're trying to work out with your finite mind the mind of an infinite God. And you're saying, I know better than He does. So therefore, I'll live my life in a different way 
to how it says here, because it's too uncomfortable to do it that way. And what Joshua is saying here in uh, uh, chapter 23, verse 6, he's saying, don't forget, don't forget, remember the first commitment of your life is to do what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. That is the first commitment of your life, to do what God wants. And God is calling his people to recommit their original vows. And I want to suggest to you that nothing has changed for us today. That is exactly what each one of us is called to do, to remember our binding promises before God. Now when you gave, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you became his child and he became your God, your heavenly father. That happened and nothing can ever change that. You belong to God now. And when that happened, you promised that he would be the Lord of your life, i.e. the priority, the number one in your life. And he promised to be your saviour and never leave you and to empower you by his Holy Spirit to live the life that he's called you to. That's what happened when you became a Christian. But this commitment, if we're honest, isn't easy. We can talk about God being first in our lives, but in the hustle and bustle and pressure of daily living, we can often lose track of that, if we're honest. And I want us this morning to look at three areas that Joshua gives the people to help them reignite their spiritual passion and keep their covenant, their agreement with God. Very briefly, they were to remember, first of all, they were to remember God's faithfulness. Look back. Then they were to, in, the, in the light of that, they were to make a decisive commitment. And then they were to throw out any idols in their lives. So first of all, remember God's faithfulness in uh, Joshua 23, verse 3. You have seen everything the Lord has done for you during my lifetime, Joshua says. Through my lifetime, look at what God has done for you. He's reminding them. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. He's defeated every single enemy that has come against you. And in chapter 24, verse 1, we read that Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at a place called Shechem. Why Shechem? Shechem was a place of great significance because we're told in Genesis 12, when Abraham arrived at, at the tree of Moriah at Shechem, the Lord appeared to him there and said, to your offspring I will give all this land. So Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So the Lord appears to Abraham at Shechem and he shows him the land before him and he says, this is going to be the land of your offspring. Your offspring I will give this land to. And now, more than 500 years later, fast forward 500 years, here they were. Two million, two million descendants of Abraham gathered at that same tree-filled land that God had promised his descendants would one day have. Imagine the emotion and the excitement as the people looked down into the valley and saw the great trees of Shechem 
and the parents gathering their children and saying, look, see those trees down there? That's where God appeared to our father Abraham more than 500 years ago. And he promised him that his descendants, that's us, would live in this land. And here we are, 500 years later. Here we are. We're in it. Isn't it incredible? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And in a much smaller way, you know, we look at the life of Oakley here over the past 20 years and all that God has done and all that God has promised. For years, 20 years ago, he promised a new building. And for 20 years, we thought, how is that going to happen? It's not going to happen. And here we are, in it, amongst many, many other promises that he made. And friends, if you remember nothing else this morning, remember this. God keeps his promises. God is as good as his word. Uh, 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 23 verse 14 says, Joshua says, Not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Not one. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. So friends, if God has made you a promise this morning... He will deliver. Maybe not in your time, but in his time he'll deliver. Maybe not in a month or a year or two years, maybe, maybe ten years. God, God called me to the ministry about, I don't know, six months after I became a Christian. Didn't materialise until about 25 years later. And you would never have thought, you think, how can that happen when you looked at where I was then? How's that going to happen? Single parent, nothing going for him. How's that going to happen? How does that work? God's promises stand. God keeps his promises. He's as good as his word. And if God has made you a promise, he will deliver. He will deliver. And then Joshua in chapter 24 goes on and he reminds the people of all the other promises that God has kept. He goes through a whole list of promises. And if you want to restore your commitment and your spiritual passion, remind yourself of all that God has done for you. I remember many years ago, not long after I became a Christian, (coughs) I came across a whole um, batch of uh, diaries that I, I had. I used to keep sporadic, intermittently, I used to sort of note, uh, journal bits and pieces in in diaries back back then, when I was uh, a teenager, 18, 19, early 20s. And I I found that I've been a Christian about six, nine months. Uh, My whole uh, thought pattern is now changing, my lifestyle, my values were changing. I started reading these, maybe it was a year later, I started, I came across this, I was reading them and I thought, and as I read them, I thought, oh my word. Oh, my word. I was felt shame. I felt disgust. I felt appalled. I thought, gosh, was that really me? Did I really think, say, and do things like that? I was aghast. And I had a meeting with my pastor, and I said to him, look, I've, I've, come, I've found these old diaries that I've had, and I've been reading through them, and I said, I'm just so ashamed and embarrassed, and I'm aghast at all the things that I used to think, say, and do. I'm going to get rid of them. I'm going to, I'm going to burn them. And he said, don't you dare. He said, don't you dare. He said, you keep those diaries. Put them away and you read them from time to time to remind you 
of what God has done for you. To remind you of where you were and where God has brought you. So don't throw them away. Keep them as a reminder of God's goodness and of God's faithfulness to your life. So remind yourself from time to time of all that God has done. Then secondly, in the back, off the back of that, make a decisive commitment. Choose to commit. Make a decisive commitment to God. Joshua then directs his attention towards the people who are struggling to make a wholehearted commit, uh, commitment to God. Uh, if they didn't want to serve the Lord, they needed to be clear then about who they would serve. Joshua 24, 15, he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, if you don't want to do that then, well then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. So in other words, Joshua is saying here, the question is not will you serve God, but which God are you serving? Because if you're not serving the Lord, the living God, you have put something or someone else in place that belongs to God. You're serving something or somebody else. You have another God, another uh, idol somewhere. And if that's you this morning, you need to be honest and ask yourself this question. What is it that has taken the place of God in my life? What has taken the place of God as the priority in my life. Is serving God your number one priority as we look forward into this new year? If not, then what is? Because Joshua's question here forces us to do two things. First, when you find it difficult to serve or follow the Lord, Try to identify then what you've put in God's place. Because there'll be something else there. Maybe it's your family that's become your God. Maybe your children have become your God. Your job, money, sex, self-gratification, fame, popularity. Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your service to God. What question are you asking yourself this morning? Is it what pleases God or what pleases me? That's the first thing that it forces us to do. Secondly, take an honest look at where that substitute for God will lead you to in the end. If something else has taken its place. It's worth thinking with that in mind, what kind of epitaph the gods of this world offer. I wonder, what would you like to see on your gravestone? Um, I was looking at some... Um, gravestone, epitaphs on gravestones the other day as I was looking at this and some of them are quite hilarious and quite sad actually um, what would you like to see on your gravestones? say oh this person was really wealthy what an achievement in life fantastic nothing wrong with wealth but is that what you want to be remembered solely for? or this person was really famous for their parties they threw the most amazing parties nobody threw parties like them that's on your gravestone or they won the best dressed person of the year. <laughs> or this person was the best chef in town. Great. Greatest footballer in his town. Most beautiful fashion model. Which epitaph would you settle for on your gravestone? 
that the world can offer. I want to suggest to you and say, wouldn't, it, wouldn't you want a better epitaph than the one the world has to offer? Wouldn't you prefer that on the day when you came face to face with the living God, you heard the words from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be the epitaph you would long for? Well done, as you stand before him to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And Joshua confronted the people with a radical choice here. And he says, if you're not going to serve the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, then tell me who or what you will serve in his place. Because it will be something or someone. And he confronts me and he confronts you with that same choice. And then he leads the way by saying, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And he nails his colours to the mast. He said, that's where we stand. I don't know about anybody else, but this is where we stand. What had happened was that when the... Uh, sorry, where am I? I've missed my... I've gone ahead of myself. Um, so the question here for us this morning is, who will you serve? Remember God's goodness, God's faithfulness. And in the light of that, choose to make a decisive, decisive commitment on the back of it. Who will you serve? What will you serve this morning? And thirdly and finally, <coughs> Joshua challenges them to throw out their idols. When Joshua gave this challenge to choose whether they would serve the Lord or some other God, the people made all the correct noises, the right response. And they all cried out in Joshua 24, they cry out, we will never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. This will never happen, they said. We too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. So they agreed to recommit their lives to God. And then Joshua comes out with an extraordinary statement. And he says to them, well, you come. <laughs> and well, why? He says, well, because talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And Joshua tells them that if they were going to follow through on this commitment, they would have to, verse 23, throw away the foreign gods that were among them. What does that mean? What's that all about? Well, what had happened was that when the Canaanites were driven out of the land by the Israelites, they had left some of their idols behind them. The Canaanites left some of their idols, their gods. And God's people, they will be the equivalent of us, the Christians today, followers of Jesus today. God's people had kept and held on to some of these gods in their homes. And these idols were offensive to God and he called his people to throw them away. Because God will not forgive the sin of following other gods while the people were still holding on to those gods. Chapter 24, um, verse 19. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sin, Joshua says to them. Now what Joshua is saying here, I want to make it clear, he wasn't telling the people that they had committed an unforgivable sin. 
That's not what that verse means. What Joshua was doing was he was making it clear that God would not forgive a sin that they were not willing to forsake. That was what was being said here. You cannot, friends, you cannot ask God to forgive you for a sin that you have no intention of abandoning. How does that work? You can't do that. You cannot say, Lord, forgive me, but I'm just going to carry on doing it. You can say, Lord, forgive me, but help me to stop doing this. And you may continue and continue to fail, but if your prayer is sincere, Lord, forgive me, I failed again. Please give me the strength. I want to abandon this. I need the strength to do it. And that's an entirely different thing to an attitude that says, I have no intention of abandoning this. I don't care what you say to me. I'm going to carry on in the way that I am. Big difference. So the question is this morning, is what is it that you are holding on to in your house? Not literally, but in the, in the house of your life. What is it that you're holding on to? What is it in your life that you know is offensive to God, but are refusing to let go of it? And God is calling you this morning to throw it out. And you can do it in his strength. Because you cannot fully recommit your life until you have dealt with the stuff that is offensive to him. Get rid of it. You can do it. Maybe not just like that. Some things may take days, weeks, months, even years. But you can do it. Because as long as these idols remain, your commitment to God is only words. And Joshua says, talk is cheap. Anyone can say anything. Is it backed up by your desire to change? And there comes a time when God puts his finger on a particular issue in our lives and he says, it's gone on for long enough. It's time to deal with it. And we see this over and over again in pastoral issues where people have been on a trajectory They've been in church for five years, ten years, twenty years, and they're still in that same groove. And you have to say, look, the amount of times I say to people, and I say, look, can't do anything else for you. Taking you as far as we can go, it's over to you. You get on with it. It's down to how much do you really want to change? How much do you really want to move forward? Jesus, on one occasion, when someone came to be healed, he said, what do you want me to do? It was a blind man, I think. Oh, you think it was obvious, isn't it? And another time he said to somebody, do you want to be well? What a funny question. Do you want, and that's where some of us are lingering. We don't actually want to be well because we're quite comfortable with the devil that we know, want of a better phrase. We've lived with it for so long we're too afraid of being anything different because that's an unknown. But there comes a time when God puts his finger on a particular issue in our lives and he says, it's gone on for long enough. You've got to deal with it now. No more excuses. Stop blaming 
your background. Stop blaming your, your parents. Stop blaming your, um, uh, your finances. Stop blaming the abuse. Stop blaming your singleness. Stop blaming the fact that you're married. Stop blaming your kids. Stop blaming the tough upbringing. We're not, we're, not, we're not making light of any of those issues. Of course not. They're real issues. All we're saying is, you can't do anything about your past. But you can uh, choose not to allow it to dictate your future. Right? We're not making light or saying those things aren't real and painful or that they don't matter. Of course they do. But don't keep hanging on to the past and allowing it to affect your present and your future. It's time to deal with it. And Joshua would not allow the people to renew the covenant with words only. Commitment to the covenant involved a clear and decisive rejection of all that displeases God. <coughs> so as we come into land, sorry I've gone on longer than I, um, I intended, I spoke on stuff I, I hadn't planned on. Today the place where we renew our covenant is not tree-filled Shechem, as we gather here um, today. Not tree-filled Shechem where uh, God first made his promise to Abraham. It's another tree where Jesus Christ gave his life for us. The trees at Shechem spoke to the, people, uh, to, to the people of God's faithfulness and love. But the cross, that tree, proclaims that same truth more clearly. That tree reminds us that God is calling each one of us this morning to remember his faithfulness, to make a decisive commitment to follow him, to throw out our idols, anything we know that displeases him and damages our relationship and walk with him. God is faithful to all his promises. And one of the first signs of spiritual maturity will be that we are faithful to our promises as well. And sometimes keeping your promise to God will involve choices that will be costly to you. It won't always be easy. But I want to suggest to you that it can never be greater than the cost to God who gave his only son to hang and die on a cross in a binding promise that all who come to him and receive him as Lord and Saviour will have sins forgiven and be given the gift of eternal life. God's unbreakable promise to you. Yours today, if you want it. I want us to pray. I want us to close now. But obviously this needs um, a response. We know that whenever we, the word of God goes out here at Oakley, we believe wholeheartedly that it never returns to him void. That something always happens when the word of God goes out because it's a living word. It imparts life. It does something. So the Lord has spoken to a number of us this morning. He has made himself known. He has touched on a number of issues 
in our lives. For some of us, we're thinking we need to recommit our lives. We need to reaffirm. I need to reaffirm the Lord as the number one in my life. I've slipped. I've lost my focus. Other things have crowded in and pushed God out as the main focus of my life. He's been taking the back seat. He's not in the front seat. In fact, he's not in the driver's seat anymore. And that's where some of us find ourselves this morning. (coughs) And the Lord has spoken to us about that. For others, the Lord has highlighted something that you're holding on to that you need to let go of. Something that you need to deal with this morning. And the Lord is saying to you, it's gone on for long enough. It's time to deal with it. And I'm here to help you do that. I never ask anything of you. I do not give you the strength or the capacity or the wherewithal to, do, to make it happen. 